All right, well, good evening, everyone. Thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh. <clears throat> Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for a great day. Thank you for your creation and thank you for fun, that you created fun for us to enjoy each other and to enjoy you. <clears throat> thank, you thank you that you made it all uh, for our enjoyment and for your glory. I pray that tonight would be a night where you do even greater things as I prayed earlier. God, I pray that you would cause every single one of us to walk in deeper intimacy with you. Whether we, whether we know you or we don't, Father, will you draw us deeper into Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you convict us of sin? God, we commit this time to you and we ask, do something that leaves us breathless and amazed. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. <clears throat> so you remember that verse I brought up, I don't know if it was this morning or last night, where Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you breast. I'll give you rest, right? It's like relief, finally. Do you ever feel like life is just beating you down? And maybe for some of you, it's like maybe you've gotten a little bit of a reprieve while you've been up here. But now, like I bring that up and you think I gotta go back. And it just kind of just feels like you're kind of just sitting there and it's just kind of kicking you in the gut. And <clears throat> Guys, I remember, um, remember when I was nine Believe it or not, I remember when I was nine. I remember when I was nine, I, and my brother was, he's three and a half years older, so he's about 12. And we looked at, we looked at my parents and said, we want to learn karate. <laughs> we want to know it. We're going to just go and just beat up people. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what we thought we were going to do. Like, we always watched all these ninja movies and Karate Kid, like the original one, not the new one, but the original one. We're like, we're all into that. So I was like, okay, we'll start, absolutely. And I remember we got into it, and I kind of liked it, and then I really liked it, and then all of a sudden I got a little bored with it. And we looked at my, I looked at my mom and said, so can we be done? She goes, no. <clears throat> well, you can be done when you're, when you're done. I said, well, when is that? I said, well, what's the, what's the top belt? My dad's the same. He's saying the same thing. What's the top belt? I said, well, black. Like black belt. Well, I guess that's your goal. And I went, what? Now, it took, I, I was nine. It wasn't until I was 15. Now, the thing is, I loved it. I was going through it. But I remember when I was 15, uh, it was time for our black belt test, and my brother and I were going for it at the same time, and imagine the fights we had. Oh, we'd wait till mom went to work, dad's at work, and like, game on. Put this stuff on. Let's go. I remember our first tournament, <laughs> three months in, somehow we fought each other for first and second. There's my mom and my grandma. Grandma's sitting there, and we're just like, we bow, we bow, and then just death. That's all I see. I'm just ready to kill you. I've always wanted to do this, and mom can't stop. And then we went, <laughs> we went at it. Grandma afterwards, now, and I'm going to brag, I beat him. I was like, how a nine-year-old just beat a 12-year-old? You're such a wuss. Now he's a copy to jack me up. But it's like then I was like, I feel like a man as a nine-year-old. And I remember grandma afterwards, she said, I will never come to another one of these again. <laughs> I said, why? 
She goes, I don't want to see you boys beat up each other. I'm like, you shouldn't stay at our house then because that happens all the time. So I remember when it gets to now I'm 15, we're having our black belt test. It's a two-day test, three hours each day. You have to go there and man, it was hard. And I'm like 15 at the time. I mean, I graduated high school, like six foot three, a buck 60, 160 pounds. Like I was skinny and I got the tar beat out of me because they get this 23, 28 year old, get up here, hey, fight him. I'm like, what? This guy's all jacked, abs on his neck, like that kind of guy. He's got no neck. It's just shoulders that go up to his ears. He's like, and he's like, I just eat, I eat 15 year olds for dinner. It's like, it's kind of terrifying. He's like, go. And I'm like, I went the best I could. I did everything I was supposed to do. And then I passed. But this is how they finished the black belt test. Those who are going for your, your, your belt or the, up, the next belt, you get in a, in, a, in a squat stance, a horse stance, and then all the black belts come in front of you and they say this, they say inhale and you go, then you say retain, which means you, you tighten up and then they just slug you in the stomach as hard as they can. That's, that's the end. I'm not a big fan of that. Like you can't block it, you just have to take it. So my instructor comes by and I'm like, okay, do well, do well. Shabam, oh, okay. And then you just stand back up. If, you're, if the wind gets knocked out, you just kind of go, okay, okay, I can breathe. And you get back up. And then this older guy, he had to be almost 70, comes up. And I'm in my mind, this arrogant little guy is like, I got this. What's he gonna do? Guys, he took his fist about that far from my stomach. I'm like, well, this is gonna be a cute little tap. I have never been hit so hard in my life. <laughs> Ever. I mean, this guy dropped me. And, he's, and he just kind of looks like, bam! I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh. And so I'm getting up. He just, he didn't even say sorry. He didn't help me up. He's like, mm, just walks along. <laughs> Big old guy comes walking up, does his thing. Then his wife's a black belt. And she's like eight months pregnant. <laughs> I've already learned don't jump to conclusions because there's two of them. That's double the power. So I remember she, she wasn't going to, like, she didn't swing at me. She took her belt and she moved it to the side as she stepped back. And then she just kicked me as hard as she could. I'm like, scram! I'm on the back. And I'm like, I want to die. I want to die. There's my parents just watching. And I wonder if at some point my mom's like, yeah, get him. The boy needs it. I get up, it's all over. Get up, guys, I, it was like one after the other, after the other, after the other. It never stopped. And maybe for some of you, that's what life has been feeling like recently. One thing after the next, after the next, after the next. And you're wondering, is there any reprieve? Is there anything that will change? Because it just seems like it's the same cycle, right? I mean, listen to what Solomon says here in chapter three, verse one. He says, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break up, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And he just keeps going through these, diff it's like extremes on both sides. He lays out one thing and then he says the opposite and it just keeps going and going. And this isn't prescriptive of how we're supposed to live. This is just descriptive of, how, of the things that we experience in life. And friends, you will have these mountaintop experiences and you'll have these valleys that hit you. It's in those valleys that we sit there and we start to question, is God really that great? Is God really that good? If God was so great and so good, then why am I going through this? Because he could stop it. He could change it. 
So why am I having to go through this? If you're telling me that he really loves me, and I'm not by show of hands, but maybe just in your soul, if this is you, in your soul, just go, yeah, that's where I'm at. You say he's great, he's, he, and he's good, and I prayed, and nothing changed, and I prayed, and things got worse, and I prayed, and I lost him, and I prayed, and it seems like things are just kind of unraveling. So you're telling me that he's still good, and he's still great, and I tell you this, absolutely yes. First and foremost, why? Because I trust his word more than I trust my own fickle, my, my own fickle feelings or my own limited perspective on life. Guys, I'm not driven by feelings. I don't wanna be driven by feelings. Guys, I have thoughts and feelings that hit me and I know that they don't go against scripture, but I have this as what? God's guardrails. Guys, I said it earlier, I think, until we can see God's commandments as God's gift to us rather than taking away joy, rather than, he just wants to enhance it. Example, so when you were little, didn't you have rules that your parents gave you? Like, these are, these are our family rules, I had them. And then when our boys came home, well, Tyler especially, he got to experience it all first. And we just had a, we just had, we had a commitment. We didn't baby-proof the house, and maybe someday, that's fine, this isn't like a slam on that. We just didn't do it. We just had a conviction. Hey, welcome to our life. Like, you're not going to run it. You're going to welcome, we're going to welcome you to our house. Now, there's parts where you don't know who you are for the first couple months because you're, you're never sleeping. Like, what's my name? Who are you? Why do you live here? Who's that little one? It's like, you just, you're kind of losing it. And the baby doesn't do much when at first, they just kind of lay around. And baby and mom are all getting connected and tight, but I'm just kind of sitting there going, what do I do? And I was like, well, I wish he did more. And then he got mobile. And I, wish, I was like, I wish he didn't do so much. Because I've never been well rested since that day. And so I remember the day. Uh, and Tyler was just an easy baby, super fun, but it was that day I, I finally saw it in his eyes. You know what I saw? I saw this sin nature I'd never seen before. Because he starts to go over toward the outlet and he, uh, he looks at this and he goes, I know where this goes. It goes in that, which doesn't make any sense. Like, that's how dumb we are when we start off. It's like, that's, that's in that. And then he looks and I was like, Tyler, no. And it was that look, and it was that look like he's saying, I respectfully disagree with you. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, he just starts to crawl over, big old massive diaper butt, just kind of making his way over. And as he gets close, I just jump out of my chair and I go, whack. He's like, what the talk? I said, that was Jesus. I said, don't just say, no, no, I didn't say that. I said, hey, dude, I, hey, no. And then he kind of grunted at me a little bit. He kind of looked at me, he's like, Ugh. I was like, dude, this is going to end well. No, not for you. Like, honestly, dude, I'm really not intimidated by a little 10-month-old. This isn't going to happen. He goes right back. Whack. He's like, Wah. and then he grunted. Ah. I'm like, really? Oh, my gosh, I didn't hear it the last time. I'm terrified. Goes back, so bam, spam, spam. It's me like, ew. How would you treat him like that? All of a sudden, he just sat there. He felt like, it, it's like he was just kind of defeated. And then he, got, he went away. And some of you might sit there and go, you know what, Brian, sometimes, sometimes people just need to learn on their own. Like, he just needed to learn on his own. Guys, if that's your mentality, please don't have children ever. <laughs> don't. Because here's the thing. You know why I said, I don't want you to touch that thing. I don't want you to put your finger in there. You know why? Because I love him. I actually wanted him to live. 
It's like, well, he's got to learn. All right, well, let's, let's, make it, let's, make it a, let's make it a moment where you truly live the lesson out. So when you get closer, grab onto this knife and just stick it in there and just hold on. Just go for it. If we're going to go all the way, why don't we do that? Why does God set up commandments and rules? To kill the joy or to enhance it? And until we can see that God gives us things to do and not do, and we may disagree, and we may not think it's fair, or we might say, hey, I don't think the way that you, I don't feel that way about that. In fact, this is how I feel. Therefore, therefore this is who I am. It's at that moment we start to fall into those things that we are telling God, I actually think that I know more than you, and he's the one who actually created life. When you get to over here to Ecclesiastes chapter three, starting in verse 10, he says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Friends, if all that there is, if all that there is after we die is nothing, then where did we even come up with the concept of forever? Where did we come up with the concept of life after death? Where did we come up with the concept of a funeral? And for those that have gone to a funeral and you've done the date thing, you see the start date, the, the end date, you see that little dash, but don't you in the middle of the service sit there and go, it's not supposed to be like this. Isn't there this feeling going, there's something wrong here? You know why? Because he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into our hearts. But here's the thing. We don't understand everything that he's ever done. It says it right after that. So, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Friends, I want to rent the video of my life one day when I get to heaven and see everything that Jesus did to intervene in the midst of all of it. One day. But I don't want to do it by myself. Like, I want him to sit with me. We're going to chill out. be all comfortable. Lazy boys. Me and him. Kick our feet up. Have popcorn and gravy because I can't have it now. But in heaven, I'm going to get yoked because I'm having gravy and biscuits. Like, that's what I want. We're going to sit there, watch the whole story, and watch how God intervened in every single thing. Because I promise you this. We do not and cannot comprehend everything that God does on our behalf. Example. We inhale and exhale without even thinking about it. People are like, I just, I just did it, I thought of it. <laughs> we inhale, exhale. Our body just works. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Guys, our brains just function. Inhale, exhale. And then there's this whole, like the circulatory system where our, our blood's going through our whole body. We don't tell our blood to do that. We don't talk to our digestive system. Or maybe sometimes we're not feeling what we do, but like we don't normally... It just works. Guys, I want to know how much God has done on my, on my behalf. But it's not just about me, it's about the world. Guys, the Bible says this. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, and I, I think I mentioned this at some point, the reason you're a follower of Jesus is because of Jesus. That God is the one who initiated his relationship with you. He called you. When did he call you? The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us this. That before the foundations of the world... You were chosen in Christ. You were chosen in him. Before he said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. He picked you. That means that God's choice of you was not determined by our, by our conduct. 
The favor of God was already on you and on me before time began. The plan of salvation was already in place before the fall. So how could that be? Like, wasn't, wasn't God setting up this plan of salvation? Wasn't he reacting to the fall, friends? There is no plan B with God. There is only, always, only plan A. He said, this doesn't make sense. I know, isn't it fantastic? Friends, you realize that without the fall, I wouldn't understand the forgiveness of God. Without the tough times, I wouldn't understand the goodness of God as well. Without going through those things that freak me out, friends, I wouldn't understand the faithfulness of God in coming through. Today, in our, uh, we had, a, had to go to the council meeting, we were just chatting, and then during prayer, all of a sudden, my phone rang. It was a young lady from our church community. She never calls. Brand new. I'm not sure where she's at with the Lord. And so I, I try to sneak out as best I could. Counselors, I'm so sorry. You're like in the middle of prayer and you hear this, as I'm trying to gather, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't help it. It's like, I felt like I had to slam out. And then I just pick up the phone. How you doing? And all of a sudden I just hear crying. And all I said was this, take a breath, inhale, exhale, breathe it in, breathe it out. I'm sorry. I said, don't apologize for emotion. You were created with it. Take a break. And all of a sudden she got it out. I still don't know the details. She goes, I just wanted to call because I need prayer. But I feel bad that I called you on a Saturday. I said, well, good thing I gave you my number so you can call me on a Saturday. Do you have a verse you could say to me? I'm really afraid. And I said this, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends our, all of our understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I said, Leslie, do me a favor, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And she said, isn't there this one somewhere in there that says that he says, come to me? I was like, are you flipping kidding me? I was like, I just preached on that like two nights ago. She goes, which one is it so I can read it? I said, can I just tell it to you? Where Jesus is telling you right now, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me why, because I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. At the end, she goes, thank you. I, I needed that, I feel better. I said, isn't it weird that you feel better and all that I did was read a couple verses? Or is that really what I did? We think, well, it's just verses in the Bible. It's just a book like any other book. I mean, he's got some words, got some vowels, got some adverbs, got some nouns. It's like, that's it. It's got some cool little advice. No, 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 the word of God is living and active. Guys, I didn't just read some verses Say I just listened to her and I waited. God, is there a verse? What do you want? And it's so cool to sit there and go, I know that this is what God is saying to you because he wrote it. And to hear it go from frantic to calm. And we prayed. What I'm thankful for is that she went through that time of anxiety so she could experience peace. That we go through the hard stuff so we can understand the goodness of God. The questions come and the doubts will flood our minds and we move forward in those times of doubt 
And we could find what? Clarity and answers, but not use those things as excuses to not after, I mean, to not actually go after Jesus. I finished and I said, are you doing better? She goes, I'm doing better, thank you. She said, thank you, pastor. <laughs> I'm like, that is still so weird to me. I said, like, please just call me Brian. Please, friends, just call me Brian. Like, I don't walk up to a plumber and say, Plumber Joe, how are you? I appreciate the respect, but I was like, just call me Brian. Why, because we're all in this together. I'm so thankful that she called, it reminded me of what my job is, is just to care for God's people and to teach the truth, to remind them of the goodness of Jesus. And maybe for some of you, just need the reminder tonight. You need to be reminded that in the midst of everything that you feel like you're being beat down by, you have, a, you have a Messiah, you have a Savior who sympathizes with you in your weakness. He knows how hard it is. He knows more than we do how hard it is. And his, his ministry of intercession has not stopped, but he continues to suffer with us in those moments. Why would he do it? Because he loves us. Do you believe that? By a show of hands, and this is not having the charismatic, in just a second, how many believe without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you? You know it. Yeah, way up, way up. Okay, now put it down. How many believe without a shadow of a doubt that God likes you? You're like, what the? Oh, God. Isn't it weird how heavy our hand gets? It's like, what do you mean by like, Brian? Do you mean like or like, 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 like? What do you mean by that? Friends, can I encourage you with something? Until you hear the attaboys or the attagirls from God, you're missing out. He loves and likes, he enjoys us. Do you realize he called his own people his treasured possession? Do you know what God does when we worship, when we're singing to him? Guys, at some point, look up uh, Zephaniah 3.17. Like, Zephaniah, you don't have to do it now, but you can if you want. Zephaniah 3.17, you know what he says? That while we're exulting over him, he exalts over us. That word exult means to make these loud shrieks. It's not even a word, it's like, it's like that. It's like, it's like, like they make those noises about Jesus. But what is God doing back when we do that? He's making, he's exulting over us. With what? With loud singing. Then when we're singing to him, he's like singing about us. He's celebrating us. And that's Old Testament. That's where we think God's this mean, nasty ogre God. Guys, he loves us, he likes us, he enjoys us, he's proud of us, and he's never regretted what he did for us. Friends, we come back to that verse, for God so loved the world. For God, the one who measures the universe with the span of his hand, the one who spoke everything into existence by starting with let there be light, the one who breathes out the sun, the one who breathed out all the hundreds of billions of stars and the hundreds of billions of galaxies in a universe that's ever expanding, that God, the God who holds all things together so that we on this earth don't just go flying off into the universe, that God who put this DNA plan in each of your cells to describe what you would be like, that God who made sure that we get it, hey, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, 
that God who put all of creation in motion and yet is still involved in creation. It's like, he says, just, he didn't just wind up the watch and back out. No, he's involved. That God who is full of love and mercy, that God who forgives, that God who has wrath and is just, that God is holy and omnipotent, omniscient, that God is mighty and he's Lord and King, that God, for God so loved the world. Us, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He's like, I, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it, but I came that it would be saved through me. That eternal life, we just think that it means forever. I'm going to live forever. Guys, do you realize that Jesus actually defines what eternal life is in math, oh no, John chapter 17, around verse 3? He says, and this is, this is eternal life, that you might know God and that you might know his son. It's not a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. And friends, when you surrender your life to Christ, if you did, that eternal life did, does not begin once you die, but eternal life began in that moment because you now know God and you get to know Jesus. Why would he do all this? Because he loves us. You realize at one point Jesus said, hey, no one takes my life I lay it down and I will take it up again. I guarantee that when he said that, nobody understood what he was saying. But he did and he knew what it would cost. Imagine Jesus now in a garden, middle of the night, his disciples were with him. But he takes three along, away from the rest. He had just told all of them, tonight you're going to all desert me. Good old Peter He's like, I won't. He said, even if all these other ones do, I won't. I would, I'd go to prison. No, 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 I would die with you, Jesus. And everyone, everyone backed the place. Like, yeah, we would too. But he looks, at, he looks at Peter and says, man, they're just gonna leave, Peter. You're actually gonna verbalize. You don't even know me three times before you hear a rooster crow. Mm-mm, not gonna happen. Friends, I'm convinced that Peter meant it. So now he takes him to the garden, takes the three off to this side, guys, you need to pray. The Bible says that Jesus goes about a stone's throw away from the rest of him, collapses to the ground and begins to pray. Part of what he prays is this, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Father, take this cup. What's he mean by cup? Guys, in the Old Testament, the cup is a picture of the wrath of God. And so what he's praying in the garden, Father, would you take your wrath from me? But not my will, your will be done. It's as if in the garden that Jesus is in agony. He's going, Father. The word Father in Aramaic is the word Abba. You know what Abba means? Like, Father. Guys, it is so much more personal than that. Abba means Papa or Dada. And that's the word when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, our Father, our Abba in, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Abba, personal, intimate, such a close relationship. And he's holy. 
You elevate both in your relationship with him, but you don't take one at the expense of the other. Abba, take this cup or take your wrath from me, but not my will, your will be done. And I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to experience the cross. I don't want your wrath, but not my will, your will be done. Then he comes back to the disciples, the three. You know what they're doing? Anybody remember? Sleeping. Sleeping. They're out. They're gone. Isn't it amazing? The guy, Peter, he said, they're going, I would die with you, but I can't stay awake for you. <laughs> and then Jesus wakes them up. Guys, I know, the, I know the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. You got to pray. Oh, we were praying. We just forgot to finish our blink. Let that sink in for just a second. And the Bible says he goes back. He begins to pray again. Comes back. What are they doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Goes away, prays. But he also prayed this in the garden. John chapter 17, the whole chapter is something that Jesus prayed. It's in that prayer, in that chapter, when I see Jesus actually tell the Father, this is what I want. When I read the gospel accounts, I don't see Jesus ever say that to the Father. What I hear him say is, hey, I only, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. I only say the things I hear him saying. In the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about me, it's about you. But here in this moment, this is what he prays. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory. That's what he prays. I want those that you have given to me, those who are chosen before the foundation of the world. I want, I want them to be with me and to see me in all my glory. And so then when Jesus says, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. At no point does it say that the father actually responded to the son why? Because there is only one way that that could happen. If your desire, your ultimate desire was that we could be with him one day and to see him in all his glory, the only thing that would take care of that is Jesus paying our price. He goes back to the disciples, sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, guys, get up. My betrayer's at hand. And he sees this little mob walking toward him, religious leaders, well, a couple of them, temple guards, and who's leading the way? Do you remember? Judas. Judas. You ever wonder why he led the way? Like, why not just kind of point him out and or sit in the back? But he's leading the way. And he had told the temple guards, hey, the one that I kiss on the cheek, that's the guy. You need to arrest him. Guys, he used the sign of friendship to betray the son of God. As Judas walked up and kissed him on the cheek, it's like Jesus looks at him and says, friend, you betray me with a kiss? Has anyone, ever here, has anyone here ever felt like someone betrayed you or you felt like, quote unquote, stabbed in the back by someone who is closest to you? Jesus gets it. He understands it. All of a sudden, the temple guards come up and try to arrest Jesus, and all of a sudden, this little fight breaks out. One of the disciples pulls out a sword and hacks off a dude's ear. The guy's name was Malchus. The disciple, you know who it was? Peter. Peter. Good old Peter. There he is. Ah, good old Peter. But he hacks off the dude's ear. He's like, what were you aiming for? Unless he's an incredible swordsman, he's like, spam. Who's next? Or is it more like, ah? Jesus is like, oh, put it away. That's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know. 
And then Jesus walks over to the ear and picks it up and heals the man right in front of everyone. At what point do you maybe sit back and go, I don't wanna do this. There's something about this guy that's different. They even asked him. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, he asked them, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I'm he. And their response, they all hit the floor. They're terrified. I have no clue. It doesn't say in the passage what it is that he did. Maybe it's like the Mount of Transfiguration where he showed part of his glory and they freaked out. It also could be where Jesus says, I am he, I am, I am pointing back to Exodus 3. When God says to Moses, because Moses asks, hey, if somebody asks who sent me, what should I say? What's your name? He says, I am who I am. In other words, I will be who I will be. Friends, we do not get to dictate who God is. God tells us who he is. And they get up, ask again, they fall to the ground, get up, then all of a sudden they bind him. And what do all the disciples do? They take off, they bolt, and Jesus is led away. Fast forward and they take him in the, in the high priest, in the, the courtyard of the high priest, and they have this, this fake trial going on. It's illegal because it's in the middle of the night, but they're doing it anyway. And they get these false witnesses, but none of their stories corroborate, and so Jesus is sitting there, and all of a sudden, or he's standing there, and all of a sudden the temple guard would come by and, and smack him, or Jesus responds to the high priest and smacks him. He's like, why are you hitting me? What is it that I said that would cause you to hit me? And all of a sudden, the high priest says, just tell us, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, it's as you say. And from this moment, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. The high priest tears his robe, says, we've heard enough, this is blasphemy. What is Jesus saying in that moment? He's quoting the book of Daniel, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Son of God. This, this, the divine is, is showing up to the earth. So they don't have the authority to kill him because they took a vote. He needs to die. So they take him to Pilate, fast forwarding. Pilate goes, I don't, have to, I don't want to do it. Take him to Herod. It's in his jurisdiction. Takes him to Herod. Herod says, do some tricks. Tell me some stories. Do something. Jesus doesn't do anything. He's like, I don't want to deal with it. Send him back to Pilate. Pilate's now having this conversation with him. But Jesus isn't responding He's been falsely accused. Religious leaders are making these false accusations. Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Jesus gets it. Jesus stayed silent. Why? Because there was a greater purpose for why he came. Not to defend his own honor, but to do what? To give up his life that we can have relationship with God. He stays silent. And at some point, Pilate looks at him and says, do you not understand that I have the authority to release you? And then Jesus speaks up, and this is my paraphrase. It's as if Jesus looks at him and goes, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. You got no play here. The authority that you think that you have has been given to you by my Father in heaven. If I wanted to, I could call down angels and they would deliver me from this. Pilate, this was put into play before the foundation of the world, before I laid the foundation of the world, before I breathed out the stars. This was all put in place before that. You got no play here. You're a pawn. The Bible says that at that moment, Pilate, trying to get him released, he comes up with his plan. Not worthy of death, I'll just have him flogged. Friends, this is what flogging is. They would then take Jesus and strip him of completely naked of his clothing as they tie his wrist to a vertical beam. They would have two Roman guards, one on each side, even that, each of them having what's called the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails, picture a stick about 18 inches in length. 
And at the end of that at one end are these little strips of leather and tied at the end of those strips of leather are pieces of razor, sharp rock, bone. The Roman guards, it's not like the first time they were experts in this. With the first swing of the cat and nine tails, it would come across either from the neck down to the calves. It would, it would land into the flesh of Jesus and then the Roman guard would change the angle in which he pulls back so that his back would be completely ripped open. He would go through this 39 times. Why? Why 39? Because too many people died at 40. So they brought it back one to show mercy. Guys, can you imagine as he's, as he's getting ready and all of a sudden, okay, I can feel it coming. The first one, bam, he's like, oh, it just hits. And what if he just kept saying, but Father, I want them. I want those that you come to be with me where I am. Guys, and to see me in my glory. This is what he's enduring, and yet I don't think this is why he sweat drops of blood. It's like when he sweat drops of blood in the garden. Luke's the only one that recorded it. He's like, oh, that's just poetic license, just saying that he's terrified. Guys, do you realize that there is a medical condition called hematidrosis? When you are terrified of something so much, the anxiety that goes through your body, it's possible the capillaries in your forehead will burst and you will sweat drops of blood. Jesus was terrified of what was coming. Guys, when they were done with the flogging, they would then untie his wrist and he would collapse to the ground. And then to mock him, Roman guards picked him up and they found this purple robe. They stand him up and then they put the robe on him. Then they find these crown, or these, I'm sorry, these thorns. Hey, let's make him a crown because he's king of the Jews. So let's make this crown. And they put it into his forehead to make sure it stays. So the Bible says that they actually took a rod and smashed it into his head. Then they blindfold him, do the same thing and smack him. And they take a rod and hit him. They say, okay, prophesy, who hit you? And then they place him before four or 500, if not 600 Roman guards. And they just start all mocking, all hail king of the Jews, all hail king of the Jews. Guys, can you imagine the blood that's pouring? Can you imagine his eyes swollen because of everything he's experiencing? But can you imagine him saying this, whispering under his breath, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am to see me in my glory. And they bring him back to Pilate. Pilate came up with this plan. He says, hey, it's during this time that I always release one prisoner back to you. So here it is, you can have Jesus or Barabbas. Jesus or the insurrectionist. Jesus or the murderer. I mean, this is church softball pitch. I'm convinced that Pilate was sure they were gonna say Jesus. Can you imagine how shocked he is that all of a sudden, and I think from the back as the religious leaders are standing there in this little mob to say Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And all of a sudden the chant gets louder and louder and louder and they're calling out for the, the murderer to be released because they don't want Jesus. Isn't it amazing that this same mob less than a week prior as Jesus is riding in on the colt of a donkey are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means to save now. In that moment they're saying, oh, save us now. Save us now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Guys, that's pointing to the coming Messiah. In that moment they were declaring that they believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And less than a week later, they're calling out for him to be crucified. I think it's proof that our feelings are fickle. They're not reliable or foundational. And Jesus said nothing. What do you want me to do with Jesus if I release Barabbas? Crucify him. Crucify him. 
He signs the edict, washes his hands in front, of the, in front of the crowd. He says, his blood is on you. He's like, not just on us, but on our kids as well. They'd put Jesus' clothes back on. They'd take the robe off. They kept the crown there. They would take the cross beam of the cross, not the whole thing, but just the cross beam that weighs between 80 to 120 pounds. And they place it across the shoulders and back of Jesus where he would then have to embrace it. And he would then have to walk 600 yards to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Roman guards are now surrounding him as, as he's making his way through, through the crowd. And, and yet some of the people in the crowd, they would pass through and they'd pull chunks of his beard out. They'd spit upon him and they would mock him as he kept walking. No one had to prod him. No one had to push him. No one had to pull him to go. He kept taking steps. Why would he do it? Because in the garden he prayed, Father, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. And if this is the only way, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I will take it up again. He walked. He took steps. At some point, it becomes too heavy and he's too exhausted and he collapses. Guys, can you imagine what it would feel like to have 80 to 120 pounds land straight on you because your hands are grasping the, the, the cross beam and you just land and it nails you? That that would create this internal damage in his body, but he can't get up, he can't move. And so a Roman guard finds a guy Hey, what's your name? Simon. Simon, get over here. Pick this up. Carry it from I can't do it. I can't carry it across. Pick it up. Can you imagine as he picks it up and maybe he helps Jesus up? It doesn't say that he is. Can you imagine if he did as he's helping Jesus up and Jesus is claiming? And what if he mouthed the words just like he said, I want him to be with me and to see me in my glory. They make it to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They would take Jesus and completely strip him naked as they attach the cross beam to the vertical, vertical beam. Then they would lay him down and pull out, pull out one wrist and stretch out his, his arm as far as they could and drive a railroad spike between the two bones that are in his wrist. Why there? Because it becomes a natural hook. Then they would take the other arms, completely stretch out as far as they could and drive a spike through both of those bones in that wrist. Then they'd take one foot, place it up over the other, bend up his knees and drive a spike through his feet. You know what the Bible says that Jesus said while that happened? This is what he cried. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we know, because it's only written down once, we think, well, he just said it once. Guys, the way, they were, the way that it's worded in the original language means that Jesus kept saying it over and over. It's like every smash of that mallet to put those spikes in, he just kept saying, Father, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. He just kept crying out for the forgiveness of those who were crucifying him in the moment that they were crucifying him. Why do we feel so justified in holding grudges against people when Jesus would call out for the forgiveness of those who were crucifying him? And I know maybe for some, and this is to not downplay ever what you had to go through and what you've experienced, and I bet some of it is so dark. But you might say, Brian, if you knew what happened to me, if we sat down eye to, knee, eye, to eye, knee to knee, and, and I told you my story, you wouldn't say you need to forgive. Friends, I gotta be honest, I would say exactly that, why? Because Jesus wants you to be free. Because what if forgiveness is God's greatest gift to you so that you are not under the tyranny of the person who hurt you the most? You don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness, you offer it so you can actually be free. 
Because if you don't, bitterness will continue to grow and grow and grow and it will impact every relationship and every decision you make. And Jesus wants you to forgive so you can be free. What if it's God's greatest gift for you to forgive? And now Jesus attached the cross, then they would raise the cross. And at some point, the gravity that Jesus created became too strong for his body to hold himself up. Gravity would then begin to pull down his body. Because of how he's attached the cross, the angle in which he's attached, arms completely stretched out, he can't hold himself. Guys, he's been bleeding like crazy. There's more strength. As it comes up, the weight of his body would pull down on his arms. His elbows would dislocate. His shoulders would dislocate. And he'd be left there to die. And most people weren't, they weren't, I'm sorry, they weren't flogged before they were crucified. They were just attached to the cross. And it was Rome's way of saying this. Hey, don't mess with us. If you do, this is what happens. The way that you died when you were crucified is that you couldn't breathe. See, as you hang there, you can inhale, but you can't exhale. Oxygen is good when you get it in, but you got to get it out or else it becomes what? It becomes poison. In order for Jesus to exhale, it wouldn't be these long breaths, these short, these short bursts of exhaling. Guys, in order for that to happen, he'd have to pull up on the spikes in his wrist and push up on the one in his feet. That back that's been marred and ripped open would be rubbing up against that cross and he would, <laughs> for six hours, attached to a cross at 9 a.m. and about noon, the Bible says the sky went dark like midnight. And from the cross, Jesus then said this, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, it's the only time that I can find in a gospel accounts where Jesus does not refer to God as father. But this, in this moment, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Guys, I'm convinced that the scriptures teach that in that moment, Jesus became what's called the propitiation. He became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God. Every sin of every person who was before that moment, in that moment, and all of us to follow was placed upon Jesus. Friends, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. And the father poured out his full and complete wrath on his son. Friends, that's why I think he sweat drops of blood. That's why I think he was terrified of what was coming. Because the Trinity had never experienced anything like this. Can you imagine the agony of the Father? Can you imagine the agony of the Spirit of God? As Jesus suffered, but the Father had to pour out his wrath. Why? Because sin has to be punished. He said, no, it doesn't. Guys, God is not loving if he, if he doesn't show justice. Isn't it amazing how much we think that God should show justice so long as it's not toward us because we want mercy. But everybody else, get them. We fast forward through the last three hours of his life. Guys, he knows he's about ready to die. His heart's just going like crazy, just trying to find any blood left in his body. It's been poured out. But he has enough wherewithal to say this. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He just got done saying, my God, my God, and then it changes. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I believe that intimacy with the Father was restored. And then right before he dies, he says three words. It is finished. Guys, I don't think he whispered him though. I think he screamed him. And I think the universe shook is finished, but guys, it's actually literally a banker's term. Literally what Jesus said was this. 
paid in full. That's literally what Jesus said, paid in full. All the Old Testament sacrifices that we read, you open up the book, the book of Leviticus and go, man, there's a lot of things dying. There's a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of blood being shed. All those sacrifices were pointing to Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who, took, who came to take away the sin of the world, and his blood. It's, guys, that's a picture of what Jesus would do to accomplish. Guys, it takes us back to the garden. When Jesus, or when, when the Father slaughters this animal that's innocent to cover their sin and shame, he's fulfilling what it is that he's already shown and prophesied. He says, it is finished. He says, the Bible says that he breathed his last and he died. Why would he do it? For God so loved the world that he gave. Because he loves us and he likes us. Friends, I used to just leave Jesus there right on the cross. It was easier to, make, it was, it was, it was easier to guilt people into making some kind of fake decision so that I felt better about myself. And I believe I'll have to stand before God one day and answer for what I did then. And I know that there's grace, I get that, but the Bible also says that those of us who are teachers will be judged more strictly. I think that he and I will have to have a chat. I won't lose salvation, it's already mine, but I used to coerce people into something so I felt better about me rather than just pointing them to Jesus. So I remember I was at this camp, I finished, I saw this kid, the whole week is on my heart. And then, I, then I would call kids to walk forward and just kind of go around the stage, kind of felt powerful. Like, yeah. And I see him in the back and he's like, huh? and he gets, sits back there. I'm like, get him, Holy Spirit, get him, get him, get him. And all of a sudden he stands up and walks forward. I'm like, it'd be cool because I'm the pastor. <laughs> Next day he comes up, he goes, Brian, did you see yesterday? He's like, I did, dude, I was so excited for you. He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. He goes, what happened next? And in my mind, I'm like, you know, Brad, how did you not know what happened next? Like, that's the best part of the story. I never told him the best part of the story. I just left Jesus on the cross. Guys, here's the joy of it. Remember Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I will take it up again. I will take it up again. Why could he say, how, why could he say it is finished from the cross when he still hasn't resurre resurrected from the dead? Why? Because there's no way that death was going to hold him down. No way. Remember when Tyler, grunted at me because he wanted to put his finger in a light socket. I'm like, what are you going to do? I'm pretty sure I can take a 10-month-old. That's kind of like what Jesus looks at death. He's like, what are you going to do? You can't hold me down. Guys, death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. Yes, he died on a Friday. And the third day, he what? He kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. And if Jesus did not, resurrect, did not resurrect from the dead, that means when we die, everything's hopeless because if death could beat God, then what do we have? But no, he beat it. That's why some of the most joyous things that I get to do, it sounds so weird, are funerals for followers of Jesus because they turn into worship services. It's mind-blowing. Why do you do all this? For God so loved the world that he gave. Friends, you will never find anyone on the planet who will love you like God does, ever. Why do you have to punish? Because he's just and he's holy. Friend, I don't want him, what happens? Friends, I made, a commitment to long, I made a commitment to God a long time ago that I will tell the truth the best that I can, dripping in grace, but respect you and love you enough to say, when you say, I don't want God, then you will spend eternity away from him in hell. 
You say, no, well, that's not fair. Friends, fair ended in the garden. Grace is what we want. Grace is it. You say, no, that's not, that's not right. Well, think about it. You don't want him, so why would he make you stay with him forever? But he has to punish sin to be just. You're just trying to scare us. I'm just telling you the truth. Well, my prayer is, I couldn't convince you to come to Jesus if I wanted to. I have no power. All I can do is tell you the story. I can share it. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration, that people should be able to see your faith and not just hear about it. It's not just repeat these words and you're fine. To confess him as Lord, the word Lord means master. That means I have no rights. I submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus. I commit myself to follow him the rest of my life. And when that happens, he gives me salvation as the gift that he paid for. You cannot do enough good things to get right with God. And so God came for us. Again, why would he do it? For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. So here's how we're gonna do it. With every head up, every, head up, every eye open, we get to watch. But I wanna make sure this is very clear. Friends, I'm gonna invite those of you who've never surrendered your life to Jesus to stand. Not because standing saves you. You do not have to stand up. We do have to confess and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, saying we wanna commit our lives to becoming a follower of Christ, and then we can receive his gift of salvation. But you do not have to stand up. Does it make sense? Don't stand up if you're like, I don't wanna do it. Okay, but I still remember when I was 17 and I stood up right where I was at. I remember August 1991, I stood up. Not because the standing up saved me, but because in that moment I made a decision and I wanted to make it public. I wanted people to know. That's all that it is. It's you just telling people around you, I'm gonna surrender to Jesus. Like you're letting us celebrate with you. Think about it. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one who has lost comes home. They're having a party and all of a sudden we're just like heads bowed, eyes shut. Don't look around. Never moving, not celebrating, just waiting. Do you ever wonder if Michael the archangel looks at God and says, why do they do that? I don't know. I never told him to do that. We're having a party. Why do they do that? I don't know. Heaven has guacamole and chips and we're just still sitting there like this. Friends, the greatest miracle we could ever watch is someone who passes from death to life, who person who comes to Christ makes splitting the Red Sea look like child's play. Guys, you can't work your salvation. You can't work for it. There's no work on top of anything. It is all surrendering to the grace and the mercy of God. You just say, I confess your lordship. I know you died on a cross and came back from the dead and I wanna give my life. And in that moment, God says, then salvation is yours. And the Holy Spirit of God comes into you to lead, to guide, to counsel, to convict, to encourage, to help you. And you're forever changed. Your identity changes from sinner to saint, from sinner to son or daughter of the king. Man, and you're forgiven. You're forgiven for things you haven't even done yet because you belong to Christ. All that because he loves you. So with every head up and every eye open. Friends, as the worship team comes back out, we're gonna, we're gonna sing the last song after we do go through this part. But if you're here and you wanna let people know, either you made a decision since you've been here, or maybe you made it last week. It's like, I just wanna do it, great. Or it's like, I'm doing it right now. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. 
You've never done it before, but tonight you say, I want to confess him as the Lord of my life. And I know he died on a cross, came back from the dead. I know he is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. With every head up and every eye open, if you say, I want people to know I'm surrendering to Jesus and you want to stand up, would you do that now so we can just celebrate with you? Anybody? Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? I know it's weird to have everybody, like you're standing there just looking at your tail end, but trust me, it's good. Anybody else? You don't have to. I'm telling you, you don't have to. Awesome. I know it's uncomfortable. I realize people are looking at you because they're so excited. That's all it is. Anyone else? If not, it's okay. If you say, I just can't do it, Brian. I can't stand up. It freaks me out. Okay, all I ask you to do is make sure you walk up to a youth pastor or a youth leader and just say, I surrender my life to Jesus. Let them know there's no camouflage Christians. For those of you who are standing, I just want to ask you a couple questions. You just respond with one word answers when I ask it. Ready? And you can just do it really quiet if you want to. By standing up, are you saying, declaring that Jesus is now master of your life? Yeah? And by standing up, are you saying that you believe that he died on the cross, came back from the dead? Yeah. And that you're committing to him and that you want to follow him the rest of your life? Yeah. And welcome to the family. You guys can sit down, thank you. I also want to invite the rest of us, friends. For some of you, you made a decision for Jesus a while back, but maybe you've wandered off. And you got to come home. And some of you say, well, Brian, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm just not practicing. That's like me saying, well, I'm married. I'm just not practicing. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm, following, I'm just not following him right now. Guys, you can't say you're a follower of Jesus if you're not following and I'm not saying that the decision back in the day wasn't true, or maybe it really wasn't. I don't know. You know, you've got to figure it out before God. But for some of you, made that decision, and you need to repent. See, when you surrender to Christ, those, of, those four of you that stood up and made it known, and maybe the decision, you're repenting from sin and you're turning to Jesus. There's no coming to Christ if you don't turn from sin. For those of you who need to repent, and we, shouldn't be making a, we should be making a recommitment to Christ every single day, every morning, Jesus, I'm all about you. I recommit my life to you. I recommit to following you. So maybe you've wandered and you need to repent and come back into fellowship with him. Or maybe you're just broken. You know, you're being beaten down. Nobody knows, you just kept it to yourself. And maybe tonight's the night you're just like, I just gotta, t I gotta say it, God, would you please? Would you please help? Maybe you'll sound just like, maybe you'll sound just like David in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Maybe you're in one of those two camps. 
If you are in one of those two camps, would you do us a favor? We wanna pray with you. We wanna encourage you, welcome home. For those who are repenting, for those of you who are broken, we wanna encourage you, remind you that God of all comfort will comfort the downcast, I promise. But if that's you, if you're in one of those two camps, would you stand up, please? Awesome, anybody else? Awesome, Red, Red, anybody else? Awesome, good. Good, thank you for your honesty. For those of you who stood up, or maybe you're sitting there going, I can't stand up, freaking out, I freak out in front of people. It's okay. Read the second half of Luke 15, the prodigal son as he comes back. Just watch the response of the father. It's beautiful. Read that before you go to sleep tonight, okay? For those of you who are coming back into fellowship, just welcome home, welcome back. For those that are broken, I promise you that God will come through. He knows what he's gonna do. You can have a seat. Youth pastors and youth workers, I wanna encourage you for just a second. You guys are on the front lines. There's a battle for the souls and the hearts of our students. And youth ministry back in the day when I did it is so much different than it is today. There's an enemy that rages, but there's a Jesus who's victorious. Youth workers and youth pastors, that's this not why you do what you do. To see students fall in love with Jesus to want to follow him. Students, you really think that they gave up their beds to come here to sleep in a bunk bed? Every time they turn, it's like (laughs) (laughs) Youth pastors, youth workers, don't give in. Don't give up the fight. Thank you for what you do. Hume staff, don't give up. This is why you do what you do. Guys, we're going to have time of singing and then they'll direct to what's gonna happen. Took a little time, I'm so sorry, but here's, can we do me a favor, can we stand? All of us stand. We sang an incredible song before, All Hail King Jesus, oh, it's one of my favorites. Every time I hear it, it's like, I just can't, say. I shriek. He deserves this, friends, and he wants us. Oh, don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose your awe of him and your love for him. Oh, just always lean in. Lean in to him. Jesus, we thank you that tonight we got to watch this. We got to see it happen again. That people came to surrender to Christ. They gave their lives to you. Because we know it's a miracle that only you can accomplish. We give you all the praise for it. Father, I pray that those who surrendered to you, whether they stood or not, God, you would protect them from the enemy who desires to cause them to start questioning this. God, I pray that they would know and with certainty that they belong to you. God, for those who are repenting and coming back, I pray that they would experience something. God, if you want us to experience something, we just ask that you would do it. But even greater than that, that they would know. They would know that they're yours. For those who are broken, God, remind them, you sympathize with us in our weaknesses. You will bring us through it if you brought us to it. God, in all that happens after this, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of Christ's followers say, amen. Amen. Love you all more than you know.